there was a question that dogged me as I traveled and as I looked, as I saw, particularly in the third world countries. And the question just dogged me, and I could not rest until I found an answer, at least for me, satisfactory answer. The question is this, how come people in the third world countries have less material goods than we do? They have less, far less technological gadgets than we do. How come they have far less of the creature comfort that we have than we do? And yet, by the same token, and this is really the crux of it, by the same token, they have less depression. They have less mental illness. They have less insomnia than we do. They have less nervous breakdowns than we do. They have less worry and anxiety than we do. They have less hypertensions than we do. I want to know why. And finally, I came to a conclusion. Two words. Two words. Unrealistic expectations. That's the difference. We have far more unrealistic expectations than they do. And to me, that was the only answer I can come up with. Here's the problem. Unrealistic expectations cuts across the board. There are some husbands who have unrealistic expectations of their wives. There are some wives who have unrealistic expectations of their husbands. There are some parents who have unrealistic expectations of their children. There are some children who have unrealistic expectations of their parents. That goes on and on and on between employer and employees and between citizens and politicians. And on and on and on and on. Here's the problem. When unrealistic expectations go unmet, when unrealistic expectations go unfulfilled, they can leave us confused, discouraged, depressed, and disheartened. Unrealistic expectations causes devastation. Unrealistic expectations can actually be traumatic. And, listen carefully, unrealistic expectations can torpedo the life of faith. Here we have an example of how unrealistic expectations nearly, just nearly, nullified the miracle. Here's an example of how unrealistic expectations nearly, I say nearly, robbed the man of God's supernatural miracle. Here's an example of a man who nearly became a casualty of his own unrealistic expectations. By the same token, you see an example of a young slave girl, young Jewish girl's faith in action. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. During that period of time, Syria was a, when you hear Aram, I told you before, it, it's Syria. Aram, Syria is the same country. Syria, which is north of Israel, at that period of history was a very powerful country. And there was a general. Actually, he was the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. He was a decorated general. His uniform was literally laden with medals. 
He had a complete and unfettered access to the king of Syria. He was a national hero as far as they were concerned. But he had one humongous problem. Please listen carefully. Life is never perfect. When you point to someone and say, oh, he's got it easier than me, she got it easier than me. When you point to someone and you say that, it is because you don't know what their problems are. (laughs) General Naaman epitomized the song, everything is going my way, except for one painful, embarrassing, humiliating thing. The great general had leprosy. Every morning, before he puts on the uniform, he would spend hours bathing and dabbing herbs and natural medicine to alleviate the pain. His uniform could cover most of his body, but it cannot cover his hands and his face. It all revealed the disease. The symptoms of leprosy start by discoloration in the patches in the skin. Then it changes into pink and brown color. And then the skin thickens around these spots. And then it begins to produce foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The voice becomes hoarse, and breathing becomes wheezy. Hands and feet are like bleeding stumps, making it difficult to put shoes on. It is no wonder that in the Old Testament in Judaism, they associated or equated leprosy with sin. Do you know why? Beloved, listen to me. Sin is like a leprosy. It does a total job unless you place it under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's unbearable. I'm sure General Naaman would have given all of his wealth to get his health back. I am absolutely confident that General Naaman would have exchanged his uniform and his medals and everything he has to get healing. Ah, but it took the faith of a little Jewish girl who's serving in his house. It took the faith of a young Jewish girl. It took the faith of a young girl who was captured by the Syrians in one of the raids on Israel. It took the faith of that little girl, faith in the power of God, the God of power and might, to witness to her master. This young slave girl, she had every right to be wrapped up in herself, to be wrapped up in her pain, to be wrapped up in her loneliness, to be wrapped up in her suffering, to be wrapped up in her in estrangement in a strange country and the condition of slavery that she was in. She had every right to be wrapped up in her separation from her family and from the isolation from home. She had every right to do that. She could have looked at her master and said, why should I witness to him? Why should I? Why should I tell him about our God? Why should I tell him about the man of God, the prophet Elisha? And yet, she in faith stepped out and said, verse 3, underline it, verse 3, 
If only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria. Samaria is, you remember after Solomon, the Israel split northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom is Israel, and the capital was Samaria. If he goes to the man of God in Israel, in Samaria, he will be clean from his leprosy. She didn't say, there is a possibility that he may help him. Well, he, he may see him. No. That faith was real. This little girl, this Jewish girl, had confidence, not just in Elisha, but in the God of Elisha. This little girl has the assurance that her God is Yahweh Rafi. This little girl was not intimidated by the general's uniform as much as she had compassion for his pain. This little girl that was not afraid of the general's bodyguard as much as she wanting to bring glory to Yahweh. And when the general finally comes to Israel for healing, he comes with three. How many? Three unrealistic expectations. One of them nearly torpedoed the miracle. Unrealistic expectations can hinder the miracle. I'm going to explain that. It's very important, very important. First of all, unrealistic expectation number one. He takes a letter from the king of Syria, a letter of introduction, and he takes it to the king of Israel. That's unrealistic expectation number one. Secondly, he comes with a preconceived idea of how he should be healed. He comes with silver and gold, and he thought he was going to pay for the miracle. <laughs> An unrealistic expectation number three, he did not like the way God was going to perform the miracle. Let's look, first of all, at unrealistic expectation number one. He goes to the wrong address. <laughs> be careful. Don't go to the wrong address. You know where you should go, right? Don't go to the wrong address. Instead of going to the man of God, just as the little girl testified to him, he goes to the king of Israel. Verse 8. The king of Israel, thinking that this is basically an act of international provocation. That's really how he put it in, in the vernacular. He said, this is an act of international provocation. He's provoked, and he tears his clothes. A sign of sadness and sorrow. Ah, oh, but when Elisha heard about this fiasco, <laughs> he sent his messenger to the great general and said, hey, you went to the wrong address. Come here. Not there. Verse 9. The general turns his camel motorcade. Have you ever seen a camel motorcade? They're very slow. But I think he had some horses and chariots. He turns it around, and he goes to Elisha. Now, he expected—I mean, actually, all of us would have thought that um, Elisha would be waiting for him at the door, right? Oh, the great famous hero. General, he's coming here. I better go down and greet him. Let's have a welcoming committee and greet him at the foot of the stairs of Air Force One. Well, we have signs, placards saying, hey, welcome the great hero. Welcome the great General Naaman. He would have organized a welcoming committee. But none of that happened. None of that happened. 
Do you know why? Because the man of God and the woman of God is not impressed with celebrities. Can I get an amen? amen? The man of God or the woman of God is not starstruck by the famous and the infamous. God's man and God's woman are not in awe of the big shots. I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> and so, Naaman, unrealistic expectation number one. He went to the wrong address. He went to the king of Israel. Unrealistic expectation number two, which was really shattering to the general, was shattering. How come he wouldn't come down and greet me? Instead, Elisha sends him his assistant, and he said, go and tell the big shot. That's a use of translation, but you get the meaning, right? Go and wash seven times in the river Jordan, and your body will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Hmm. Before I explain this or even get to three, I need to explain a geographical fact, a true fact. The Jordan River is very murky. It's very muddy. Your feet will really dip deep in the mud. It is like a, a little muddy water puddle in comparison to the beautiful river Euphrates. The river Jordan is shallow and murky and muddy in comparison to the beautiful rivers in Syria. And the great general Naaman becomes furious. I mean, he was furious. And that is unrealistic expectation number two. First, the man of God would not even come to lay hands on him and heal him. He thought, this is the way to do it. <laughs> Unrealistic expectations. As if he'd say to himself, he's telling me to go and dip in the River Jordan seven times? He wants me to go where? He wants me to do what? He wants me to dip how many times? If he's a southerner, he would say, is he out of his mind? <laughs> does he know who I am? Oh, yes, he does. Just Elisha ain't impressed with what impresses people. After all, he is the servant of the living God, the God of Israel, the God of power and might. Look at verses 11 and 12. You can almost visualize the smoke coming out of Naaman's ears. He was steaming. I mean, he was hopping mad. He was fuming. He was fussing and is furious, to say the least. <laughs> now, don't miss this. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Let me summarize first. Unrealistic expectation number one. He went where? The wrong address. Unrealistic expectation number two, Elisha does not come down and meet him as he expected. But then listen to what he said this to his crowd, his bodyguard. I thought that he would come down, lay hands on me, call upon his God, and I would be healed. Can you see the fallacy here? Because of the method that God used for his miracle. He had different expectations. He's sending me to the murky water of the Jordan? Come on. No way. If I'm clean and get into that river, I will get dirty. 
And so he gets his camel motorcade turned around, and he's going home. He's going home. He's going home to Syria. He's heading home now. In addition to his disease, he's heading home disappointed, and he's heading home angry. (laughs) I never give you a warning that I don't give myself. I never exhort you about something that I don't constantly and daily say to myself. So let me warn you, be very careful of wanting God to perform a miracle according to your expectations. Be very careful of wanting God to bless you according to your expectations. Be very careful of unrealistic expectations. Be very careful of confusing faith with fantasy. Be very careful of not wanting to meet the conditions of the promises of God, and yet you're expecting those promises to be fulfilled. Hebrews 10.36. Hebrews 10.36 says that we first do the will of God, (laughs) then the promises are fulfilled. Look at verse 13, 2 Kings 5. These general bodyguards and traveling companions, all these people are with him. They must have picked up some courage because you don't talk to a guy like this in the fear of he may lob your head off. I mean, that's just the way things were. But they picked up courage and said to him, Boss, <laughs> what have you got to lose? Boss, don't be stubborn. That's a use of translation. And so reluctantly, the great general goes into the River Jordan, turns around, go back to the River Jordan. Don't forget what I'm going to tell you. If you're writing, write it down. Naaman's healing was not in the Jordan River. Naaman's healing was not even in Elisha's words. Naaman's healing was on the trip to the River Jordan. Did you get that? It's on the trip. That's where the healing was. Let me ask you this. Has God been speaking to you about something in your life that you need to do? He's been softly, gently speaking to you. Every time he gets a chance, he speaks to your spirit but you're dragging your heels. Let me tell you something. I know all about dragging the heels. I know all about it. What is it that God is constantly speaking to you about? The Holy Spirit is, whether bring you under conviction, or want you to do something, whatever it may be, it's between you and God. It has nothing to do with me. What is it that God is constantly calling you to do? Obey. What is it that God wants you to deal with in your life some issues that you need to deal with. And you're reluctant. You're reluctant. It could be the key to your miracle. It could be the answer that you've been waiting for. Only you and God know. Only you and God know. This great general was reluctant to obey. Maybe he was embarrassed the grotesque nature of his disease. I don't know. Maybe he was embarrassed to take off his clothes in front of his staff and bodyguards, embarrassed of the ugliness of the skin. But begrudgingly, he gets into the River Jordan. First dip, nothing happened. Second dip, surely something should have happened by now, right? Third dip. Fourth dip. 
I am absolutely convinced in my mind, the sixth dip, at the sixth dip, he nearly gave up. That's my personal opinion. Don't try to find it in the Bible, because I know human nature. Surely if something is going to happen, would have began now at least to take place. Nothing. And then he takes his seventh dip, and then he comes out, wow, the body's healed. Wow, the God of Israel is the only one true God. The God of Israel is the one who is the God of power and might. He's the God of the supernatural. And don't you ever forget it. The problem is so many professing Christians are living just like the secular people are. They do nothing, practice nothing that would distinguish them to be men and women, boys and girls of faith. There may be someone here today who may never have experienced what the joy of knowing that all of your sins are forgiven and that you have been set free and received the gift of eternal life. You may be adamant in thinking, like I said, that you are going to heaven because you're a good person or because of your charitable work or because of all the weighing of the good things are going to be more than the bad things. Or maybe because you think your denomination or your church is going to make you, is going to allow you to get to heaven. Listen to me. Jesus never, never, never said that a church can save you. Church can never save you. He said, come unto me. Come directly to me. I am the one who paid the penalty of your sins. I am the only one who can save you eternally and assure you of heaven. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.